be specific, John chapter 12, John chapter 12, down by verse number 23, John chapter 12, please, thumbs up, all right, John 12, um, let me get this going here, so I'm a teacher by trade, which is why we meet in a school now, but, uh, but anyway, um, can't get away from it. Try to get out. They pull me back in. All right. But anyway, uh, it was recently in my school back. I teach in Staten Island. I'm in the New York City system there for 20 years. And it was recently, uh, recently announced that my principal, my boss, uh, won the New York State High School Principal of the Year. Uh, and then we make it, we're trying to make as big of a deal out of it. But uh, it was a great honor. And he's a great guy and a great boss. And it was a great honor. Uh, it was a great uh, accolade for him to receive, and they're celebrating it. You know, the chancellor of all New York City schools is coming in a couple of weeks to see him and see us. I'm thrilled. Uh, and uh, it was a great praise bestowed upon a good boss, and it was a, it's a remarkable distinction given to someone uh, of his stature and of his effort and stuff like that. But I want to point this out. Uh, the award that he won does not make him a principal. It rewards him for his work as a principal. Got that? He didn't get that award and then become principal. He was already a principal, and it was just a commendation given to him for his work and labor as a principal. And people are doing this all the time. People are always striving for all kinds of honors, right? We want the promotion at work. We want the prize at this thing. We want uh, the pat on the back for a job well done. But the gold medal does not make that person an athlete. It rewards his or her hard work as an athlete. You got me so far? Um, The plaque they might give you at the job for a job well done doesn't make you an employee. It simply recognizes your effort as an employee because you're part of the company. Uh, Even the the commendation, perhaps, that a dad might give you for a job well done, it doesn't maintain your sonship It just honors a son for a job well done. Now, if you look at John chapter 12, verse number 23, I say all that to say this, because in John chapter 12, Jesus Christ is talking about discipleship. Jesus Christ is talking about following him. Jesus Christ is talking about the glory he wants to give, the reward he wants to give to those that would lay down their lives for him the way he laid down his life for us. And it says in John 12, 23, it says, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that cateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. So Jesus Christ is talking about discipleship, self-sacrifice, commitment, devotion, the glory that should come after those things. And he starts mentioning this thing called the Father's honor. An honor the Father would bestow upon those that would lay down their lives the way he laid down his life for us. And the Father's honor, what I want you to see, the Father's honor doesn't make you a son. 
The Father's honor just rewards you for being a faithful son, a faithful servant. And we look around the world, you do this as well if you're on a team or you're at a job. Employees, athletes, they will go to great lengths to get a temporary honor like this person of the year or this status on the job or this trophy for the team or this plaque at the race or whatever it is. My question to you is this. How far are you willing to go, Christian, to get the Father's honor? That's what I want to talk to you about today. The Father's honor. The Father's honor. And how willing are you to go to get the Father's honor? Let's just have a word of prayer and then we'll jump in here. Father, we thank you today for your word, for your kindness, for your love, for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for the salvation you give us, Lord. And then there's so much more that you have waiting for us, Lord, if we would just throw all in and just love you the way you loved us and do our best to try to follow you. And I pray today, Lord, you'd encourage us, challenge us. And Lord, if someone sits here today and doesn't even know you as the Savior, Lord, may you show them the way of eternal life today, first of all. In Jesus' name we ask it, Father. Amen. I want you to go to Romans chapter 8, which is a couple of books to the right. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Do a little teaching and preaching in here to kind of make this Father's honor a little clearer to us all here. Uh, Romans chapter 8 is where we'll be. Here's the first thing I want to say about this, all right? God the Father, and if God is your Father, just say amen. Amen. All right, if you're saved, God is your Father. God the Father wants to honor you for a Christian life well lived. He wants to glorify you with himself. He wants to reward you for a Christian life well lived. Now, I got to sort something out right now because there is a big, 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 did I say big, a big difference between a reward you work for and a gift you receive. All right, we got to draw a line right there. There is a difference between a reward or an honor or a glory that you get for your effort and something else you receive as a gift by grace. Now, look at Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Here's what I say that for. Uh, it's talking to the sons of God in Romans chapter 8. It's talking to the saved in the book of Romans, this great book of doctrine directed towards the church, directed towards Christians, directed towards us if you're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And he says in Romans eight fifteen, ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. When you get saved in the church age, which is the age on God's calendar where we live, when you get saved in this time on God's plan, you get saved by grace through faith plus nothing. Nothing. Amen? Yeah. All right? If you're trying to get to heaven any other way, you're going the wrong way. In this little time that God carved out called the church age, you get your sins forgiven, you get your name in the book of life, you get washed in the blood of Jesus by grace, through faith, plus nothing. Nada. Niente. I don't know. I don't know how many other languages to say it in. Nothing. And that's why he says you've not received the spirit of bondage. Because there's no more bondage anymore because you're not in debt to the law to pay for your sin. You're not trying to pay it off anymore like the Jews were in the Old Testament. There aren't rites and rituals and sacrifices and all these things you had to keep and moons. That, you know what that did to the Jew? It put him under bondage. And then Jesus Christ said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free, right? What did he make you free from? He made you free from the bondage of religion and the bondage of the law and the bondage of paying off the debt yourself 
through continual sacrifices and stuff like that, like they did in the Old Testament. The New Testament calls salvation the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Because if you could earn it, why did Jesus Christ die? I mean, that's a, I'm not smart, but that's an easy way to understand it, right? It's that simple. Now, especially around Christmas time, my birthday, just in case you need to know that, right? You may be in debt for the gifts you give to others, and your credit card might start melting for the gifts you give to others, but not the gifts you receive yourself. Right, when somebody hands you a gift, they don't sit there waiting like this. You know, or would they drop the receipt in the bag? No, they don't do that. A gift that you receive is a gift with no strings attached. It's a gift by grace. Look at, uh, don't look anywhere. Titus chapter three says this, that we're saved not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Amen. Anybody get in on that? I got 24 years ago. I got in on that. Not by works of righteousness, which I have done, but according to his mercy, he did the work. And what's the most famous verse about this of all is Romans 6, 23. The gift of God is eternal, that means it lasts forever, life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ paid the price. Can I tell you something that's going to sound heretical? Salvation is always by works. But right now, it's Jesus Christ's works. In the Old Testament, it was somebody else's works. Right now, Jesus Christ did the works, and you get in on his works. Amen? Hallelujah, and praise the Lord. Now, here's another verse. It's in Romans eleven twenty nine. if you're a note taker or you're going to fact check me. But Romans eleven twenty nine speaks about the gifts God gives. And the Bible says the gifts, Romans eleven twenty nine. the gifts and calling of God are without repentance, without Turning without a take back, without a change of mind, without a, a, a different perspective. When God gives a gift, he gives it and it stays. He says it's without repentance. He's not like, I gave it to you, now I want to take it back, right? He says, no, I gave it and it's given. That means, praise the Lord, God's not, I don't know if I can say this anymore, I might get a community strike. God's not an Indian giver. No offense to my Indian friends, right? Just God's not a, here it is. Now, I don't like the way you looked at me today. I'm going to take it back. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Now, that's why, let's read Romans 8.15 again, church. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit, capital S, of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba. That's like Daddy, Abba, Father. See, that's why the Lord's telling the Christian, and I'm saying that for a reason. He's telling the Christian in the church age, in this dispensation, you don't have to fear anymore because God is your Father through Jesus Christ. That lets you have enough relief that you could call him Daddy, Abba, Father. They didn't experience that in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the best you could be is a friend. Abraham's called a friend of God. Moses was called God's friend. He spoke to him face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. But can I tell you, we got something better than friendship. I got sonship. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants you to see today, Christian. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit, capital S, itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are 
the children of God. Amen? Are you a child of God? Say amen. amen. Right? That's not because you were born. That's because you were born again into God's family. The Holy Spirit, it says in verse 16, wants a believer in this age to know he is God's child. The Holy Spirit right now, if you trusted Jesus Christ, is trying to speak to your spirit and say, I love you, I'm with you, I've sealed you, I've taken you for myself, I've born you again, you belong to me. That's what the Holy Spirit wants you to know right now in this age. It's another spirit that might make you doubt it. Another spirit that might want to try to talk you out of it, like this guy at the fair wanted to try to talk us out of what we believed about the Bible, tried to get all puffed up like a peacock and tell us things, and I just had to go junkyard dog and chase him away a little bit. But you know what? If God's spirit wants you to know it, then the other spirit wants you to doubt it. And there's a lot of Christians, we roll up at them in the rescue mission all the time. They're like, they've trusted Christ, they know about the Bible, they've believed on Christ, and they're trying to live the best they can, and they think that God hates them. They think that God's done with them. They think God like, you know, like unborn them or something like that. It's, it's, it, it just creates anxiety. And God says you don't have to fear, because when you receive Jesus Christ, you know what you got? The indwelt spirit of God's son sealed inside of you. Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 4 says you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And in Romans 8, number 15, he calls it that spirit of adoption. That you've been adopted. That means you have all the rights and privileges of a son. That means in God's mind, you have the same legal standing as Jesus Christ because it's the spirit of God's son that lives inside of you. So when he looks at you, he doesn't look at you or me. He looks at his son and that's what gets you entrance into the throne room and that's what gets you entrance into the Savior's presence. Don't ever think for a moment that because you were a good boy this week or you were a good girl this week, that's why God's going to hear your prayers and listen to your petitions. You get in because he looks at that blood-stained cross and he looks at that scarred savior sitting on his right hand and he says you're the reason why Pat Mashanya gets two seconds of my attention you've got a legal standing as a son of God because the son of God's spirit lives inside of you if you're saved in this age Romans 8 17 stay with me now and if children are you a child of God? Say amen. amen. And if children, then heirs. He's saying, if you are a son of God by faith in Jesus Christ, you have got a two-part inheritance. Watch it. It's right here in the verse, as plain as the nose at the end of your face. And if children, then heirs. Number one, heirs of God. You are an heir of God today if you're saved. You are an heir of God. You know what that means? That has to do with the gift. That has to do with your sonship. That has to do with your standing. That's what gets you eternal life and gets you in the door in God's mind. Notice in that passage right there, it is unconditional, that promise. There is no if associated with being an heir of God. If you've been born again by faith in Jesus Christ, you become an heir of God. You bear his name. You have his seed. His spirit is sealed inside of you. You are an heir of God, the Bible says. That's one part, but that's only one part. But then he goes on and he says there's more. And when you put these two together, you get stunad. You get a little like mental agita, right? He says heirs of God, that's one. And 
English moment. End means it's something else. (laughs) It's a conjunction. It means another thing, right? You're an heir of God. That's one. And joint heirs with Christ. If, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. You see, you are an heir of God. That's number one. But you can also be, number two, a joint heir with Christ. That's not about a gift. That's about a reward. That's not about your salvation. That's about your service. That's not about anything unconditional. That thing is totally conditional. You say, how do you know that, Pat? Because God says the word if afterwards. He doesn't say if after being an heir of God. He says, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. Something more than just eternal life, an eternal reward. Amen? Amen. You're an heir of God by birth because you get God's seed. You're a joint heir by suffering. That's a little different. You see, Jesus Christ didn't suffer to become the Son of God, but he suffered to earn that crown and sit on that throne. He had to go through something. The Bible says he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And God glorified him because he laid down his life. But he came as a son. Let me clarify it this way. Because some of you look at me like a tree full of owls. You come to Christ's cross to get saved. Amen? Amen. Justin. Then you carry your cross because you are saved. Let me say it another way. See my son? Well, my son's home. My son's home recouping today. But my son could not work for me till he was born, right? Mark could not get, you know, Theo to do anything while he was in the womb but kick his mom's belly, right? Really, that's about it, right? You can't work till you're born. And guess what? You can't do any works for God until you've been born again, right? When you become a son, then, and when you're born, then you could start working for him. But not until then. The reward is the blessing and the honor to a son that just decided his father was good enough to work for and lay down his life for. Go to Colossians 1. Let's continue to unveil this a little bit and just explain this. Colossians 1. There's a big difference between a reward and a gift. Colossians 1. Notice I'm turning to all of Paul's epistles here because Paul is the one that has the blueprints for the church. Colossians 1. Look at verse number 21. Just going to keep layering it. Colossians 1.21. The Bible says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Whew, I like that verse very much. I think I'd like to stay right there and preach on that verse for the rest of my life because you were alienated from God, you were separated from God because your mind thought all kind of dastardly things and you did all kind of dastardly things and God said, through the cross, I have reconciled you. Look at 22. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Please notice in verses 21 to 23, you get reconciled by Jesus Christ's cross. You get reconciled by God's work. But you get rewarded if you continue. 
You get rewarded if you keep going. You get to be unreprovable and unblameable if you follow on after you receive Christ. If you just hear it and goes one ear and out the other, and you say, thanks a lot, Jesus, and you go about your merry way, you're not going to stand before him without shame. But if you want to get to him and stand there unashamed in that day, unreprovable in that day, blameless in that day, you've got to keep going. That doesn't mean you never make a mistake. That just means you get it right with God and you keep going in the direction God is asking you to go. That's what he's saying. If you continue, if you continue, doesn't say if you're sinless or if you're flawless or if you're this third part of the Trinity. It says if you continue, you can get to that judgment seat of Christ without spot or blame and unreprovable in his sight. You continue. That's your works. That's you taking up your cross after you see what Jesus Christ did for you on his cross. Because we love him because he first loved us. Okay, not to earn his love, but because he loved us. Now look at 24. Look at 24. This is important. He says, I, Paul, am made a minister at the end of 23, who now, Paul speaking now, rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Please notice very carefully that this is a special program for the church. Unknown and unavailable in other times of God's dealings with man. This is something special you're a part of, folks. This thing called the New Testament church is unique from Moses. It's unique from the tribulation. It's unique from Abraham. Yes, we learn a lot about things from them, but what God is doing right now is special. You know why? Read verse 24. He calls it, I'm sorry, 25, a dispensation of God. God dispensing the way he is going to deal with people in this age called the church. A dispensation of God, he says, given to Paul... That's why we make a big deal out of Paul's writings. For the church. That's what he says. A dispensation was given to me for you. God gave Paul some understanding of what he was doing in this church age that he didn't give Peter. And he didn't give Moses. And he didn't give even the other Bartholomew. But Paul got this blueprint from God as to what this thing called the New Testament church was going to be all about. And Paul's saying, that's why I'm talking to you, Christians. I want you to know what God is doing right now in this age we call the church. That's how you rightly divide the word of truth. You understand, I'm not a Jew. And I'm not even a Gentile anymore. I am part of this thing called the body of Christ. This special thing called the church. I'm not a Jew under the law. I'm not somebody trying to go through the tribulation. I'm not somebody trying to find my home in the promised land. I am part of the body of Christ. And I've got this special program that the Lord is working out in this age that's about to close very soon called the church age. Look at 26. He says it's a mystery. 
The deal for the church that he's talking about through Paul to us was unknown anywhere outside the church age. Paul says it was a mystery. That means it was a concealed truth. God wore those cards close to his chest and he didn't let on what he was going to do called this thing called the church. But Paul's expounding it to them now. And he says in 28, 27, that the church has this hope of glory. You've got this hope, not just of getting your sins forgiven. You've got this hope now of being glorified with Christ. You've got this hope that you could be a joint heir with Jesus Christ and earn this reward to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. Why? Because Christ dwells inside your body. The mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now you've got this ability because Jesus Christ lives inside of you to overcome like you didn't overcome before, to change like you didn't change before, to live like you didn't live before, not because of your effort, because of your submission to the one that lives inside of you and wants to take the steering wheel. And it's a hope. It's a hope. It's a hope. 28, whom we preach, warning every man, And teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. He says, that's why Paul says, I'm warning the churches, warning the churches, warning the churches. Why? So you mature and receive a full reward. You know that, folks? That's what the church is about. The church is not a social club. The church exists. Why? So you can mature as a believer and get to heaven and get all that God has waiting for you. The full reward that God wants to give his children. That's what the church is about. For the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. That's what we're trying to do here. I'm thankful for every David that gets saved. I'm thankful for every one of you that gets saved. But you know what's more important sometimes than just getting them saved? Getting them matured. Getting them grown. Getting them to learn how to trust, how to pray, how to follow, how to sacrifice, how to give. That's where the maturity comes in. And that's where the reward comes in. God says he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory. The gospel call was the door opening so that you could enter into God's plan and get all that God has for you. That is to live and reign with him and not just be an heir of God, but to be a joint heir with Christ. I'm getting ahead of myself. 29, Paul says, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Paul says, I'm not just warning you. I'm also working myself. I'm laboring myself. Why? Because I want to get my full reward. I want to get all God has for me. I'm not working to get to heaven. I'm working because I'm going to heaven and I want to get there unreprovable in his sight. I want to get there and get all the treasures God has laid up for me right now. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. One more on this. Again, I'm keeping it in my church age epistles here. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look at verse 10. Look what Paul says. He says it here again. Here's his heart. Here's Paul's heart. Here's our heart. Here's my heart. Therefore, I endure, Paul says, because he took trouble, right? Verse 9, he says, I suffer trouble, right? People, are gonna, people chased Paul. People cursed Paul out. People threw rocks at Paul. People beat him up. People threw him in jail. I haven't taken experience of those, but I'm not looking forward to them. But he says in verse 10, therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake. That's you. The elect's sakes, that's you. That they, meaning you guys, that got into Jesus Christ, may also, also 
also, beyond being saved, also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul says, I'm not just preaching the gospel. I'm trying to teach some people and mature some Christians so you guys don't just get to heaven by the skin of your teeth. You walk in there on your own two feet and get that crown that you're going to cast at the Savior's feet. I'm trying to do something to build you up so you get the salvation with eternal glory. Amen, amen, amen. Now look at verse... Now I want you to consider now, this is an admonition that the Apostle Paul is giving a pastor of a mature New Testament church. The church of Ephesus is a... I'm sorry, Timothy was the pastor of the church of Ephesus. That was a mature church. And look what he says to him in verse 11. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him we shall also live with him. Amen. That is Paul talking about the unconditional salvation that comes from being in Christ. Are you in Christ today? When you got saved, you know what God did? This is an amazing operation. He did not do this operation in the book of Matthew. And he wasn't doing this operation in the book of Exodus. And he isn't doing this operation in the book of Hebrews. And he isn't doing this operation in the book of James. And you won't find anything about this in Isaiah. But to the church, you know what the Bible talks about? An operation of God. That when he saved you, he cut you out of Adam and he put you into Christ. And if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. This is a unique operation that God is doing in this age called the church age. You're different, folks, than a lot of other times in the Bible. God's doing something different in this dispensation. He cuts you out of Adam and he puts you into Christ. Colossians chapter 2 speaks about that. And he puts you into Christ. That means you get eternal life. Because you're in the one who is eternal life. You have the standing of a son because you're in the one who is God's son. You understand that? That means his death became your death. That's why Paul could say, I am crucified with Christ. When did Paul die on a cross? In God's mind he did. Because he took him out of Adam and put him into Christ. That means, Paul, you got crucified with Christ. You got buried with Christ, Colossians 3. And you're risen with Christ, Colossians 3. You got everything that Jesus Christ went through is yours because you are in Christ. And he tells them, this is a good thing to preach, Timothy. Preach that if you are dead with Christ, you're going to live with Christ. Because he came up from the grave. You're coming up from the grave. Amen? Isn't that a blessing? All those things are possible because you're in Christ. Everybody in this room is either in Christ or out of Christ. If you're in Christ, you get all the promises that the Son got because of faith by Jesus Christ. That's eternal life. That makes you an heir of God. That means if you're dead with Him and He's crucified you with Him, you're going to rise again with Him. That's what the Bible just says. But then He goes on to level 2. See, level 2 is the next verse. Level two is not about salvation. Level two is about service. If, ooh, there's that word if again. If we suffer, we shall also, see, it's something else. Besides just living with him, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. He's talking there about the conditional reward that comes from suffering for Christ. 
That's not the eternal life you get by being in Christ. That's the eternal honor you get for working for Christ, for suffering for Christ, for laying down these 15, 20, 30, 40 years he gives you after you've known him. You give it to him. You know what he says? I got a reward laid up for you. I want to make you a joint heir with me so you can reign with me when I come with my kingdom. That's a special thing also. Notice the word also again. To obtain salvation also. Why does God use these words? Because there's something else brethren there's something beyond brethren there's something more to life than just getting fire insurance there's something more to this christian life than just getting out of hell there's this great big plan that god has for you oh and if i could just make you see it one day you'd lay your little trinkets and your toys down and you'd give it all to jesus right now if you could see a hundred years in the future and see what god has planned for you if you could look out in a telescope and just look at the cosmos and all these planets that one day god will inhabit and the kingdom will expand and go on and on and on and you get the opportunity to reign beside him in his great expansive kingdom you wouldn't think that little thing you're playing with in the dirt is such a big big deal You'd get a different perspective. Maybe one day I'll preach all about that stuff and make your head spin around. I don't think think anybody else is preaching it. I don't know what I was preaching. Some of this stuff sounds like Swahili to some Christians. He's like, what? A reward? What? It's, It's all right there. Just read. It's right there. Look at verse 13. Now, just in case you get confused, because you got 11 is about salvation and 12 is about service. He says, you know what? Let me just throw in verse 13. Because 13 is, is about not your standing. So your standing is verse 11. You're in Christ. Your state is verse 12. Are you denying him or are you denying yourself? 13 is about security. The eternal security when he says, well, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. I mean, you, Jesus Christ lives inside of you. If you're a part of his body, God's not amputating any toes off the body. God's not cutting any fingers off Christ's body. Jesus Christ suffered once for all forever. Guess what? If you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, you could be a good passenger on that plane that's going to heaven, or you could be a bad passenger on that plane that's going to heaven. But guess what? The captain said it's going to heaven. God says, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. When he looks inside and sees the Son of God inside your heart, living in there, indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God that sealed himself inside of you, he's not looking to you and your good works to get you into heaven. He's saying, I see my son. Come on in. Come on in. But don't you know Pat Mishan, he's such a jerk. Yeah, he is a jerk, but you know what? I'm looking at my son. He took my son. My son is the way in. I'm not going to deny him. I'm not going to deny my son. He cannot deny himself. Jesus said, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. John six thirty seven. Now, go to, stay right there in 2.12. Let's talk about what the reward is. The Father's honor is a reward to the faithful. You see that difference? Salvation is a gift by grace, but the honor, the reward, I think what I hope you're striving for, all God wants for you, that, that extra thing, that also, that eternal blessing, that eternal honor, that is reigning With Jesus Christ when he comes in his kingdom. That's not automatic to every saint. That's not automatic to every Christian. See verse 2, verse 12? It's right there. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. That's a conditional crown. That's what you can lose. If we deny ourselves now, 
we will reign with Jesus Christ later. But if we deny him now, we're not going to get much later, right? That's what the denying is about. Go to Matthew chapter 16. Let me show you a little more about that. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. You know, Paul was talking to the Corinthians one day. Now, the Corinthians were a bunch of carnal jerks. Uh, they're probably most like us. <laughs> You're not jerks. I'm a jerk. But, you know, the, 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 the Corinthians were carnal, cosmopolitan. There was fornication in the church. There was backbiting in the church. There was gossip in the church. There was all kinds of stuff in the church. And they were doing good. They had their Maseratis roll up on Sunday morning. They did great and everything like that. And uh, Paul says to them, he goes, you've reigned as kings on the earth. He's being sarcastic. He says, you guys are doing real good. But he says, I would to God ye did reign. He says, you're doing great down here, but I hope when that time comes and Jesus Christ's kingdom comes, I hope you're doing as well then. Because you know what, brethren? God wants us all to reign. Can I tell you that? Just If you're saved, say amen again. God wants... Oh, I was weak. One more time. If you're saved, say amen again. Amen. All right, I got to hear it. got to hear it. Guess what? God wants you all to reign with him. He wants to share in that kingdom with you. But can I tell you a bit of truth? We're not all going to get there. We're not. You say, why not? It's right there in Matthew 16, verse 24. Because the cost of that crown is self-denial. The cost of discipleship is self-denial. And the cost of that reward is you taking up your cross. And a lot of Christians don't want to do that. They do not want to do that. Even me saying it right now casts a, a pale upon your day today. You know, self-denial. Ooh, we don't like those words today. Consecration. Sacrifice? Bro, I almost threw up in my mouth. Give something up for God. I thought I just had to get everything from him and just go on about my merry day with my eternal Santa Claus and my genie in a bottle. No, I'm sorry. God says, what hast thou given for me? What about me? And uh, that's why this place isn't packed. That's why people leave. That's why people can't take it. That's why people, that's too much. You know why? Because that, a hundred years ago, that's what burned up in all the pulpits. The Billy Sundays and those guys, they preached it straight down the plate like that. And they said, if you're saved, you better get right with God because there's a great thing coming and you want to get all God has for you. Now, if I'm just not sharing and relevant and talking about you, 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 you're disinterested. Right? That's a sad reality. But the Bible says there's something so much bigger about to hit your world, and you get no do overs, right? Football game, no do over downs when God blows the trumpet. When God blows the trumpet, you're going to wish you had hoped and worked a little more for the Savior down here. Look at it says, Matthew 16, 24. The Bible says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples. He didn't preach this to the whole crowd, this is to the disciples. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's where Jesus Christ set the bar for his disciples. Are we going to eat like pigs next week? Most likely, yes. Right? Are we going to throw a Frisbee and have a good time in the sunshine? Most likely, yes. Lord willing, yes. Does it mean you can't enjoy life when you deny yourself? Absolutely, you can enjoy life. Enjoy it as much as God lets you enjoy it. But who sits on the throne of your heart? Who runs the show? Who's got the steering wheel? Who gets to go first? Who are you following? See verse 25, he says in 25, he says, For whosoever will save his life 
shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. See, if a Christian denies his Savior now, he is denied a reward later at the judgment seat of Christ. Conversely, if you can deny yourself now, the Lord will give you something later. That's what he's talking about when we read the text earlier. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. You see, the Father's honor is the reward for a life of service and self-denial for Jesus Christ. Now, some of you right there, I said that, you're like, I'm out, I'm out. Okay, come to church, smile, come have a burger next week or a wing or a piece of sandwich, whatever it is, enjoy it, keep coming, I don't want you to leave, get all you can, listen all you can, learn all you can, but I'm aiming for the people that want to get all God has for them. They want to see their worlds turned upside down for good. They want to see God's power manifested in a mighty way. That's who I'm targeting. The ones who, when Jesus comes back, will be reigning with him in his kingdom. You say, where do you get that? Verse 27. Verse 27 is all about Jesus coming in his kingdom. You see? All the stuff he's saying, he's saying in the context of his coming and his coming kingdom. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. He says, if you would lay down your life for Jesus Christ and labor a little bit for him now, guess what? You're going to reign with him later. And reigning with him when he comes is the reward of your labor since the day you got saved. Revelation 22 says it, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. The reward doesn't come now. You don't get the reward now. You may not get the big house now. You may not get the, the, the unspotted health right now. You may not get it all now, but you know what? If you could just continue, you get it all later. You get a reward later when you sit with Jesus Christ in his kingdom and reign alongside the Savior in a kingdom that will never end. That's got to make your mind just expand a little bit. Keep reading with me. You know, Psalm 8 says this. Psalm 8 verse 5 says that the first Adam, that's the guy in the garden, the first Adam was crowned with glory and honor before ruling on the earth. It says he was crowned with glory and honor. God made him a king and he messed up. And then it says in Hebrews chapter two that the last Adam, that's Jesus, he's crowned with glory and honor. Why? Before ruling on the earth. He's coming to rule the earth, people. Jesus Christ is coming to rule and reign on the earth and set up a kingdom that'll never end. And he's been crowned with glory and honor and he's coming back as king of kings and lord of lords to reign on the earth. That's why people don't like him. They like Jesus when he's somebody you could tell them about when they're upset about their whatever it is. But when you talk about a king coming who's going to put down all of his enemies and rule in righteousness, people start to get like, oh, we have no king but Caesar. You catch my drift? Because that's what they said back then. We have no king. We will not have this man rule over us. 
But one day he's coming, the king is coming, and he's going to sit on a throne, and you're going to be able to reign with him if you're faithful down here. If you can just make it for a few moments, you get a whole big eternity to be rewarded. It's all about that perspective. But you know a lot of Christians, they want it now. I want it now. I want my cake now, right? They want it right now. Just give it to me now. I got to get it right now. I want that guy. I want that girl. I want that this. I want that that. You got to get it right now. I just got to get it right now. Like a big spoiled brat. Now, now, now. Me, me, me. Now. And God's like, could you just wait for five minutes? I'm coming back and then you're going to get it all later. I'm going to give you everything you wanted later and more. If you could just endure a little bit. You know, the first Adam, the first Adam failed to get his bride ready. And they lost the chance to rule together. They were rejected. You know the last Adam? He wants to get his bride ready. So we rule and reign with him in his kingdom. That's what this whole thing is about. You want want to know what this is about? This is about getting some kings ready. This is about getting some rulers ready. This isn't just about helping you through your marriage or through your bad job. This is about giving you some eternal perspective so you can lift up your eyes and be like, you know what? There's a lot bigger plan out there and up there. I just, I got to just keep going for God. And one day he's going to give me a reward that nobody will ever take away. All throughout the Bible are types of God's men, types of Christ reigning alongside their bride. Take Joseph. Didn't Joseph go through some things? Oh, he was a good man, Joseph. He was vilified. He was falsely accused. He suffered. He went to prison. You know what happened in the end? Joseph got to rule over all Egypt. Type of Jesus Christ. Type of the world. You know who he ruled alongside? He ruled alongside Pharaoh's daughter, Asenath, a Gentile bride next next to Joseph ruling over Egypt. How about Solomon? You heard of Solomon? You heard of Solomon, right? You heard of Solomon. Solomon took the throne, a picture of the millennium, a picture of the kingdom. That's who Solomon is. A Solomon is a picture of Jesus Christ reigning on the earth. You know who Solomon reigned alongside? He had Pharaoh's daughter to wife also, a Gentile bride next to him. You know, when Jesus Christ comes into his kingdom, he wants to reign alongside his bride. He wants to reign alongside his church. That's you. He wants to reign alongside you. He wants to rule and reign with you. You say, why would God do that? Because, man, when you love someone, you want her to share in your greatest accomplishments, don't you? You know, I mow the lawn. That's about as good as I could do. I say, honey, come out. Just look at this. Looks like a green carpet, doesn't it? You know, guys do it. Guy builds a shed. Honey, come out. Look at this. You know, look at that. Guy fixes, you know, guy changes the filter in the furnace. Look at that, honey. It's clean air you're breathing. All because of me. I opened it up, slid it in. How'd you do that? Oh, I just knew how to do that. Learned it back in HVAC school, right? That's me. That's what, guys are like that, right? Guys want to show things off to their ladies. They want to like show things off to their brides. They want to say, honey, look at what I built. I fixed the car. You know, I, I did this. I did that. I worked hard for you, right? Jesus Christ has got this kingdom that's coming for him. It's his greatest accomplishment. You know who he wants to share it with? His bride. Amen. You want to say, honey, look at this. Look at this. This is all ours. This is all ours to rule and reign with together. Like Joseph, like Solomon, like Christ. That's what he wants. It's kind of like Aladdin. You know, I know I get somebody's attention. Remember that movie, Aladdin? You got to take your princess and you want to show your princess that whole new world with you. Right? He just takes her up there. And he says, I want to show you all this stuff I got. I want to show you the world. Please don't start singing it. Right? Shimmering, shining splendor. Right? right? I don't want to get into all that. Some of you are just like, you know, 
tell me, princess. I don't want to hear that stuff right there. That's bad stuff. But you know what? That same picture that Jesus Christ wants to take you and just say, look at this. Look at the galaxies. Look at that stuff. Look at beyond our solar system. Look at it all. It's all ours, honey. It's all ours to rule and reign together. It's the kingdom that I've got prepared that I want to share with you. That's what being a joint heir with Jesus Christ is all about. That's what Jesus Christ was talking about in John 12, 26, when he says, if any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there also shall my servant be. If he's in his kingdom ruling and reigning and you followed him, guess what? You're going to be right there with him. It's a choice you got to make. Now go to Revelation chapter 19. I got just two stops left. Revelation 19. I'm going to hurry. I'm going to hurry. Revelation 19. Revelation 19. Look, I wouldn't preach a message like this in the park. But I'm assuming I'm preaching to a lot of saved people here today. And I'm trying to teach you the Bible instead of just yell at you. The question becomes... Do you want to reign beside your king? Do you? Will you follow him now to reign beside him later? It's a choice. I can't make you do that. Some people just say, no, I'm good. Okay. But oh, if you could get up there and see what he's got waiting for you. you, I mean, he's so good to us now, isn't he? Hope and comfort and answered prayer and, and joy and peace and victory and blessing and all these amazing things he gives us now, they aren't even scratching the surface of all he's got out there. I hope when we go to camp, we can just lay down and look up at the stars and the Holy Spirit will tell you where I am, there shall my servant be. Because he's got a kingdom coming that's got no end and it's going to go out there and out there and out there and he wants you to share in his government of it. My goodness. Revelation 19, 11. Here he comes. Here he comes. Ready? Here comes the king. And I saw heaven open. Verse 11. Revelation 19, 11. And I saw heaven open. And behold, the white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he did judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. That's Jesus Christ. And the armies, there you are, which were in heaven, followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Can I tell you something right now and watch it carefully? If the reward is conditional, not everyone who is saved will reign with Jesus Christ. See verse 14? It says in verse 14 that the ones coming to reign with him are clothed. They're clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And verse number 8 tells you what that is. Verse number 8, if you want to read it, says, And to her, this is the lamb's wife, was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. That clothing that you get to come back with him is the righteousness of the saints. It's your reward at the judgment seat of Christ for everything you've done right as a believer. Because when you got saved, you know what you started to do? You started sowing. You started making your vestments. And the Bible says some people sow to the flesh and some people sow to the spirit. And the people that sow to the flesh are of the flesh going to reap corruption. 
That doesn't just mean now. That just that means your reward also. Because there's a reward. Your reward, the reward, the Bible says, can be corrupted, can be lost. So you're sowing, right? And you're sowing. Everything you do right, every time you come to church, every time you say that prayer, every time you put God first, you're sowing. And every time you put God last, and every time you say, I don't give a flip about what the Bible says, guess what? You're sowing, and you're sowing, and you're sowing. And at the judgment seat of Christ is reaping time. That's when God goes into the closet. Who's up, Pat? I hope I got a long t-shirt. You know, I hope I got something. He's going to take something out. He's going to take out that vestment that you've been making, the fine linen you've been sewing, the righteousness, not of Christ, but the righteousness of the saints, what you've been doing right. And 2 Corinthians 5, I'm not going to turn there, but 2 Corinthians 5, if you're taking notes, in verse number 3 says, when it's time to get those clothes at the judgment seat of Christ... Some will be found naked. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? For God to say, who's up, Pat Mishanya? You know, he, like at the dry cleaners, the thing spins around and nothing here. You sowed to your flesh. You didn't want to live a second for me. Now, if you're here today and you could put up with me for an hour, I think you're both of you got at least a long t-shirt coming to you. I don't think you're going to be found, going to be found naked, but... Uh, What a shame to be found naked in that day. What a shame to be found ashamed in that day. It won't cost you your eternal life, but you will lose your eternal reward. You will lose the Father's honor because you want it all down here. I wonder, are you laying anything up for yourself now? Doing anything right now so you're not naked in that day? Can I just end right now, five more minutes maybe, to just tell you, what can you do to earn a full reward. What are some things you can do so you don't come up naked as a jaybird at the judgment seat of Christ? What can you do to sow to the Spirit so you have a vestment that you could be clothed to come back with Jesus Christ and reign with Him and get the Father's honor? Well, I'm just going to give you these verses. I'm not going to turn there. I'll give you one area you could do. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24 says, you can keep under your body so you can get an incorruptible crown. Kind of like an athlete, right? Like an athlete who trains and sacrifices and eats right and gets up early. Listen, it's kind of hard to be a disciple without any discipline or discipline. Ask any runners you know. You run like once a week, you're not much of a runner. You're training for a marathon, man, you got to do those 10 miles, 15 miles, 20 miles. You know, you got you to put in that time every day. You got to get it down and bang the pavement or bang the treadmill. And you got to be consistent to build up that endurance. Listen, God says, I got a reward for people that are willing to keep their body under control for me. You could get some fine linen for that. That's a blessing. But it's hard to reward you when you don't have the same effort a little leaguer has at a ball game. Okay, you want God to reward you with what I just talked about and you don't give some Christians. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about the other ones who aren't here. Right. Some Christians don't give as much effort as a little kid hitting a T-ball gives when he tries to run to first base. We give God the scraps, the bottom of the pile. And if I got enough time in my schedule, God, maybe I could fit you in between brunch and nail polish with grandma. Maybe I'll work you in there, God. I don't know, but I'm a really busy guy. God says, if you could just deny yourself a little bit. I got an incorruptible crown waiting for you. Don't you see how God works? God is wise. God sets this whole thing up to see, okay, who wants me? Who wants me? 
Who is willing to make the time for me? God says, I got one reward. I could give you something good just for keeping under your body. Your body wants to yell, you keep it in. Your body wants to scream, you restrain. Your body wants to go after what you shouldn't go after, and you say, no, I'm a Christian. God says, oh, you're making a garment. That's good, son. How about another area? Number two, 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 to 20 says that reaching others with the gospel can secure you a crown of rejoicing. You can get rewarded for that. You can get rewarded for giving out gospel tracts. You can get rewarded for praying for granddaughters and sons and friends and, and just colleagues and stuff like that. You can get rewarded for trying to witness to people. Hey, will there be anyone in heaven because of you? That's part of your reward. You could be working on your garment by just looking at the world around you and thinking about who can I reach with with the gospel? Send somebody a card. Say a prayer. Just get outside yourself and maybe think about someone who's on their way to hell. God says, I can reward that because God wants to reward you. God wants to give you a full reward and God wants you to reign alongside him. But he's not handing out participation trophies. He wants to see somebody that puts in some effort for him. Not to get saved to get rewarded, to get reigning with him. Number three, 2 Timothy 4, 6 to 8 says, just loving Christ's appearing can help you receive a crown of righteousness. I wonder, are you living your life in light of Jesus Christ's return? You got any eternal perspective? Are you just living like this, like a dog staring three feet in front of him at the chip you just dropped? That's all a dog can see is three feet in front of him. God says, lift up your eyes unto the hills and get a little bigger perspective. And God says, if you can live in light of his appearing and try to live loving his appearing, God says, I can reward you for that. I can bless you for that. I can lay up some of that investment for you if you would just live with that perspective in mind. How about James 1, verse 12 to 16? Another verse, I'm not going to turn there, but if you're writing it down, James 1, verse 12 to 16 says, enduring temptation can make you worthy of a crown of life. Can I ask you, Christians, are you resisting sin? Are you overcoming sin? You know, are you trying? You know, God is a holy God, right? <laughs> and God loves holiness. You know, we should be the most holy people on the face of the earth, right? We should be enduring. We should be resisting. We should be overcoming the ones who know the Bible and have Jesus Christ's spirit living inside of us. And God says, when that thing comes across your plate and you just say, no, thank you. I'm a Christian. God says, oh, oh, I can reward you for that. Amen. That guy hits you up. That girl hits you up and says, you want to go out with me? And you know, that's not a good guy. And you know, that's not a good girl. And you know that's not a saved guy. And you know that's not a saved girl. And you shouldn't be doing the hookup game. You know what the Bible says? If you could resist that, God says, I can reward you for that. Guy at work says, let's go out and get a few. You say, I shouldn't be doing that. I can reward you for that. You see how easy God makes it to get rewarded? There's so many areas to get rewarded. It's all about if you want it. It's all about if any man serve me. It's all about the will, guys. I love you today. I'm just trying to encourage you today. I think some of you are scared. I'm angry. So I'm not angry. I'm just trying to stir you up by ray of remembrance, man. Just get you to realize what a big thing God has waiting for you. And he's laid out all these options for you to just get rewarded because he wants to. He's got the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns all the treasure in the universe. And he's like just itching to give you something and reward you. And I'm trying to show you the areas you can. Controlling your body. Reaching others. Loving is appearing. 
enduring temptation. And finally, in 1 Peter 5, he says, shepherding others in the faith can get you a crown of glory when he comes. Taking somebody under your wings. Being that elder to somebody else. A pastor does it, of course, but you're a pastor of your wife. You're a pastor of your kids. You're a a, a little pastor in your Sunday school class. You're a pastor of your little flock. Whatever your little flock is, just take the lead and try to lead them in the faith and don't lord over them. Don't be dominion over them, but just try to bless them, strengthen them, edify them, take them by the hand and help them on to the promised land. God says, ooh, 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 I can reward you for that. And put some layers in your vestments up there. But let's finish in John, okay? See, God wants to reward you. You just got to want to be rewarded. You just got to be willing to try, willing to put in the effort, willing to love him who loved you first. Love is not a gushy feeling. Oh, I just love Jesus. No, that's not it. No, love is sacrifice. For God so loved that he gave. John 12, here it is right here, folks. As in everything. You know, you know, Brian and I, we bumped into this Calvinist knucklehead at the fair yesterday. And that was, the, that was the guy I had to bark away. I wasn't the nicest guy, but I just couldn't take it. I just couldn't take that spirit of, ugh, that spirit. Like, I'm in the elect. I was like ready to, hmm. <laughs> anyway, anyway. But you know what? It's always a choice. Everything's a choice. It was a choice in the garden. It's a choice in Revelation. It's a ch- he gave everybody a choice. He gave the angels a choice. Some of them rebelled. He gave the cherubim a choice. One of them tried to overthrow the whole thing. He gives man a choice. It's always a choice. And now that you're saved, you still got a choice. And the choice is right there in John 12, 26. If any man serve me, it's a choice. Let him follow me. You want to serve me? Follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Serving Jesus Christ is a choice. God made a choice. God says, if you serve me, I'm going to reward you. The question is, will you serve him? What's your choice? You see, you don't serve to become God's child. You serve because you are God's child. The father's honor doesn't make you his son. It rewards you for being a faithful son. So, Is the Lord Jesus Christ great enough for you to choose to serve him? That's the invitation. Is he great enough for you to serve him? If he's not great enough to serve him, then don't serve him. But if he's worthy of a job well done, then serve him. That's what the Bible says. If he's worthy. Go to John chapter 5. Let's finish right there in John 5. My last verse. I'm going to read this, then we're going to pray. John 5, 44. John 5, verse 44 You know, for those who choose to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, they have the Father's honor waiting for them. John 5, 44. You know, Jesus reproved the Pharisees, the ones who were playing a game, the ones who were just putting on a show. He reproved them for honoring each other. He says in John 5, 44, how can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? He reproved the Pharisees for putting on a show and just wanting to honor each other. But he's looking for Jesus Christ, those people that want the Father's honor. Those people that are willing to get the honor that only God can give. Because people will do anything to earn the accolades of another sinner like himself. Right? We love to get 
patted on the back by this guy and that guy and this one and that one. But you know what? My principal, as great of a guy as he, as he is, he won that principal of the year thing. You know, next year, there's going to be a brand new principal of the year. And my principal will be forgotten. Because all the honor this world gives is like the flower. Here today, gone tomorrow. Those flowers you bought for Mother's Day, they're wilted and falling apart. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. But God's honor, the Father's honor, goes out forever and ever and ever. So I challenge you, why wouldn't you give it everything you got to gain the Father's honor for all eternity? Let's stand and pray together. Let's stand.